Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Boss again. I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming Jared Albrick, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun here because Jared is one of those guys who you can just run and run with a conversation about all sorts of geeky stuff. He can be a fan, he can be an artist, he can be a content creator, and he can be the talent. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Jared Albrick. How are you doing today, good sir? All right, Aaron. Thanks for having me here. I uh, I am hungry, but I'm not a trilobite, so hopefully this will work out. Well, okay. Now, are you old? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're a fossil. Okay. <laughs> All right. And and are you a cute, cuddly critter? Uh, some say it is so. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you, you are at least trilobite adjacent. Okay. All right. All right. All right. And you and I got together over some mutual interest. And the funny thing is, we didn't even realize we had those mutual interests until quite a bit down the road. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, because you are a very talented artist. Oh, thank you. Um, you have a really neat concept that I like to recommend. You would call yourself a yard sale artist, mm-hmm. where you will do sketches on books, pages yes. from books. And you will also have a podcast. Yes, I have a few podcasts floating around out there as well, yes. The one I'm most familiar with is On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Yes, yes, On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast is our James Bond show uh, for the White Rocket Entertainment Network, which was started by Van Plexico. And uh, yeah, that's a fun little podcast because it's got a few few shows on it, movie review shows. And then I, I'm mostly on two of them. I'm on Rogue Agents, which is... Uh, myself my brother jason my friend delvin my friend pat and it was originally called rookie agents because we took delvin and pat who had never seen the james bond movies before jason and i took them through every single one we did a review show on each one and now that they've graduated and seen them all we call ourselves rogue agents and then we talk about anything and everything in the bond world from the comics uh to the games uh to we just did an episode on uh one of the short stories by fleming so yeah that's what's going on over the under secret podcast the other one i'm involved in was with alan porter where we're doing the soundtracks of James Bond and we're almost done. We're about to record the Skyfall episode soon. <laughs> so wow. We're almost out of soundtracks to discuss. <laughs> and it is amazing. Cause when we talk about an extended universe, you think of star Wars, which has movies and TV shows and comics. And then you think star Trek also very similar, but mm-hmm. James Bond has an extended universe that I don't think is getting enough play yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I concur. Um, and I think James Bond could extend its universe uh, even more. But yeah, for now, I don't think enough people know about the wonderful comic book series from Dynamite Comics. They've done a great job with the James Bond comic book series. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely uh, wells you can go to. As you know, Aaron, you've been mm-hmm. on uh, my my ongoing documentary of James Bond and video games. And uh, that's where we found we also had some crossover that you like games and I like, <laughs> I like games <laughs> and that. And so there's games, you know, like you said, there's comics, uh, novels, clearly bunches and bunches of novels. So, yeah, there's an extended universe out there that it's, you're right is not as, um, I don't know, spotlighted, spotlit as <laughs> whatever the right word is, as Star Wars or Star Trek. I am wondering if it's partially because maybe the fan base just doesn't go- grasp or or doesn't gravitate toward extended universes as much as a star wars or a star trek are there 
is it just that James Bond has an older fan base as a whole that they don't want to mm. go to comics and games? You know, it could be. It could be because, like, you make a valid point because, like I said, I do the Music of Bond shows with Alan Porter, and he's he's older than than us, and and Alan's never dipped a toe into the video game universe, which which has got a lot of really cool things to offer. Mm-hmm. And it, but you know, it it, it it could be very generational because mm-hmm. you know. I podcast with my brother Jason. He's only five years older than me, but that five years is really a generational split for gaming in particular. Because Jason kind of likes to game, but he it never grabbed him like it did me. And he's just five years older. You know, he's a tabletop roll the dice board game guy, and and you know I, I'm the video game guy. So I do think there is some truth to that, Aaron. I think you you may be right that it could be just a, a generational thing that that people don't get into the extended universe of bond as much um and then like i said i do think it's a little bit on the on the fault of of the the bond ownership which i guess is is barbara and michael uh they own the property they haven't really pushed things that they could push i mean we i was on a panel for spycon this last year virtual of course (laughs) but uh, we discussed that we discussed how there's missed opportunities uh why doesn't james bond have a netflix show or even if you didn't want it to be bond why not why didn't why doesn't felix lighter have a netflix show that would be well, awesome yeah and my pitch was a, a james bond netflix show that would be animated and done in a 60s style so it mm-hmm. would be all retro bond and then the wonderful thing about that is you could grab some of the older uh, Bond actors, like let's say Timothy Dalton, and he could do the voice work for Bond. And how cool would that be? And we'd all tune in for it. And I think we'd grab a new generation of these younger uh, kids. I guess they're kids to us, aren't they? <laughs> they are watching Netflix and being like, this James Bond animated show is really cool. And then you go, well, son, let me show you this movie catalog. <laughs> let me show you all these novels. Um, so I, I do think there are missed opportunities uh, for Bond, but you never know. You never know. You know, just just so I can run my mouth more. Um, you've got me thinking about sort of Star Trek and Star Wars. They they definitely lend themselves to a bigger universe, no pun intended. But they have literally a bigger universe. True. Uh, you know, Bond is a is a secret agent going out doing secret agent things. He's right here on Earth. And, you know, well, except in Moonraker. Uh, but he's right, here, he's right here on Earth. So I guess the universe is a little smaller, but there is a lot you could do with it. I mean, if you look at the Dynamite comics, they've done a couple of M comics and a Money Penny comic. And these are characters that could spin off into their own, own worlds easily. I could absolutely see that. And I definitely agree that there are some opportunities for an animated series to mm-hmm. be set as a period piece. Because I... Even in as far back as the 90s, I was hearing people saying that James Bond should be a period piece because that resolves a lot of the problems we have mm-hmm. with moving him into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. it, there are certain complications that just don't exist if you accept that this is the 60s, 70s, early 80s, and that's where you leave it. Absolutely. In fact, on that same panel I was on, I want to give credit where it's due. I think it was Van Flexico, and one of his ideas was, and I adore this idea. Um, one of the problems with the Bond movie franchise right now is, you know, for a long time there, it was a wonderful little schedule. It was like basically every two years you were getting a Bond movie. And then then it became, uh, you know, we had that big break between uh, Dalton and, and Brosnan. That was a six-year break while they fixed some stuff contract-wise, whatnot. 
And then Craig comes along and it starts to, you know, five years between them, six years between, and that starts to become the norm. And some Bond fans are frustrated by that. So here's Van's idea, which is going to go back to what you were saying, Aaron. What if there was two production companies? What if, what if the Bond people, you know, Barbara and Michael said, we're going to have two, two production teams. And each one of you is going to be working on a Bond movie. Team one, you're going to make a retro Bond movie. It's going to take place in the 60s, or the 70s, or the 80s. Team two, you're going to make a modern one. And you each have four years to get yours out, but we're going to offset them. So you get a retro Bond every two years and then a modern Bond every two years and a retro Bond. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. That and is. I wish they would do that. <laughs> two different actors, two different production teams two different directors, you know, you get that different flavor and style every two years. You go, well, I'm going to watch a retro bond. Then I'm going to watch a modern bond. And what a wonderful plan. I, I, I hope, I hope Barbara and Michael listen to your show. <laughs> hey, I really do too. And Hey, if you're available, call me. Um, but one thing I'd like to talk about a retro bond. One of the few examples I can think of was the Xbox game from Russia with love. Yes. Which I wish they had done more from that because that to me was the best idea for a Bond game yes. possibly ever. If it, it may not have been the best Bond game, I'd put it in my top five for sure. But to That's actually cool. be able to remake an old movie with a new concept as a video game and have the freedom to explore areas you couldn't explore in the movie, well, to me, was very compelling. It was oh, actually yeah. probably the reason I bought an Xbox back in the day. Yeah, I, you're going to have to refresh my memory, Aaron, because right now, uh, like now, now, like as mm -hmm. in last night, I was uh, slowly working through all my interviews that I do for my, my Bond video game documentary. And I'm in that era now. I'm in the mm -hmm. 2000 to 2010 uh, era of the games. Mm -hmm. And I, did I interview you for that one? Were you my interview for, for Rush with Love? No, uh, you were not. You, I believe you had somebody else for that. We okay. talked about GoldenEye Rogue Agent. Another ah, game I like. Yes. And and possibly I would probably put that as my number two Bond game ever. Oh, its storyline is incredible. Yes. But, but, but yeah, to go back to what you were saying that, you know, to do from Rush with Love, you know, with the Sean Connery voice work uh, as a video game was brilliant. And, and you know what? I think a game that is unfairly judged and I still can't figure out why, cause I played it and enjoyed it is 007 legends did the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've never tried 007 legends or, or if your listeners haven't, what an awesome concept. Cause it, it starts out as Skyfall when he's on the train, he gets shot by money penny off the train. And as he's falling, he starts having these memories of his past. And mm -hmm. that's what you play through. You play through Goldfinger on her majesty's secret service, uh, die another day, license to kill you get to play through all these memories as as daniel craig as james moss you get to play daniel craig in goldfinger and daniel craig in her majesty's secret service and i'm like this is brilliantly creative what a wonderful idea so you like the game absolutely did i okay i i see it catches flack and i i to this day don't know why i truly enjoyed it and i don't know maybe i'm just like the world's most forgiving video game player but i was like wonderful concept had fun playing it don't get why it catches crap. Well, I had only heard that it was very buggy. So, and that's hmm. really, I didn't say that. I didn't encounter any bugs that I can think of. Uh, although I will admit there is a stealth action part during the license to kill portion of it 
that I just got stuck on. Like I just could not get through this room. And it was one of those things where I was like, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and get mad. And I probably got away from it for a few weeks, maybe even a couple months. And then when I came back to it, it went just fine. I don't know if that could have been a bug or not, but uh, I didn't really experience uh, any, any real issues and I had a blast with it, but uh, yeah, that's all I got, man. <laughs> all right. Well, I got to look that up then because that was one of those games when I first got my Wii U, I really wanted to get that. And I heard, mm -hmm like you said, terrible reviews, not necessarily from the idea, but just they said it was unplayably buggy, which that's a very overused statement by far. Oh, okay. Well, I, I did not experience that. I played it on, I think I played it on my PS3 is where I put, and I do have it on my Wii U, but I think I'd, I'd beat it on PS3 and then I scored it at a, at a surprise, surprise yard sale uh, <laughs> for my Wii U. And since I already beat it, I, I didn't really play it. I just added it to the collection, but May I don't know if it's buggier on one system or another, but again, my experience with it was good. And what a what an amazing concept! And you know, just to go back to what you were saying, Aaron. I mean, who amongst us wouldn't play, you know, Octopussy on our PlayStation Four, or PlayStation Five? You know, and I'm just picking a, a movie at random, but just, let's just think about that. You'd start off flying an acro jet, and then <laughs> and then you'd have a fight on a train, and I mean. The, who wouldn't do that? <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, to, to kind of, that's a great segue into what I was thinking of a little while ago. When we're talking about an extended universe, especially in the video game realm, I was looking at your podcast and the series that you're doing on the Bond video games. And I asked myself, at what point did these games deserve to be called an extended universe? Because that was, that's a pretty recent thing. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'm, I, generously want to say it happened with GoldenEye 64 but realistically it's more like the the PS2 era the mm -hmm. Xbox era where they actually got good enough to say okay this is Bond games are worth looking forward to mm -hmm. yes and had original stories weren't based <laughs> off of previous movies um, which is ironic because the very 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 first James Bond game had original story it was one of those text-based adventures for the ZX Spectrum mm -hmm. it's almost impossibly hard to find because some dude in England named Richard Shepard basically made it out of his garage but anyway I, I did I'll sit here and give you factoids on video games all day since that's what I've been working on for the last year mm -hmm. <laughs> but I agree with you I think the extended universe really does blow up in the PS2 era because then you got like uh, Nightfire uh, everything or nothing agent under fire and they all had original stories and original characters and one of my favorite things they all had original like original bomb theme songs mm -hmm. so there's like this whole underground layer of cool theme songs that you you can hear that for james bond that a lot of people don't know exist yeah and that that's kind of the point where you start to say okay the, like i said these are worth looking forward to it's an expansion onto the universe like uh, Star Wars had Shadows of the Empire for one thing, right. which was like, okay, right. it's, it's set between the two movies. There are new characters that you can actually build up and care about, and you don't know who's going to still make it to the end of the, the story. So there's not that, oh my God, well, Obi-Wan Kenobi's going to make it to the next movie, so who cares? You, know, you <laughs> don't have that. <laughs> yes, true enough, true enough. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a good comparison with Star Wars having original games. It's an excellent comparison as as james bond got original games with new characters and it kind of goes back to you were you're big on uh, goldeneye rogue agent mm -hmm. which is a game i own but i've actually never played 
you'd think the video game documentary guy would have played it yet, but I haven't. But I've, I've done enough research to know it has an incredibly smart storyline. It does. Like an incredibly smart storyline. And you told me about that, too, mm-hmm. when, we, when I interviewed you. And you'll be on the upcoming uh, episode for that. But uh, for listeners who don't know, I mean, you, you don't play as James Bond. You play as this rogue agent who has been recruited by, is it Goldfinger? Mm-hmm. To basically get kill Dr. No? Like you're yes. in the dark side of, of the espionage industry. I, it, you'd know better than me, Aaron, because I can't remember. Do you, do you play a former British agent? Yes. A former double O perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What a yeah. great, what a cool concept, you know? It really is. Like I was saying to you during the, the discussion we had, the big issue with the story, and I don't think it's an issue, but I can totally see why somebody else would, is that it's completely incompatible with the James Bond canon. Whether that's the movie canon, whether it's the game canon, the story is such that you cannot fit it into any other story. You have to accept it on its own terms. I see. If you get your head around that, it's great. But I can yeah. see why somebody would say, I, I can't do anything with this, so no. Well, well it shouldn't be that hard for a, a big Bond fan to do that because let's be honest, continuity has always been a little wah, wah when, it, when it comes to James Bond. Anyway, you kind of have to take them all individually. Mm-hmm. To me, really, the only true continuity we've ever seen throughout like just the film series is every once in a while come up that he was married to Tracy and mm-hmm. she was the real love and her death is why he is the way he is the way that's why he doesn't get women can't get close to him anymore mm-hmm. you know that's really the only backstory you know these recent movies they tried to give it some backstory oh you know this was his his foster brother and all, all that jazz and and most of the bond community rejects that because the great thing about james bond is he he doesn't need an origin you know, you got a character like Batman, you have to explain why a man puts on a bat suit and goes out and fights crime. But James Bond, it is literally his day job. It's literally on his tax forms. You know, <laughs> I'm a government agent. Mm-hmm. He probably doesn't put government agent on his tax forms. He probably puts, uh, you know, import or export, or maybe he still uses his naval rank. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't need an origin story. So you don't need it. For me and, and probably you too, it sounds like we don't need a ton of continuity. We can take a game like Rogue Agent and just mm-hmm. enjoy it because Bond has always been loosey goosey with his continuity in the film series. Yes. And, and you know, as, as we've kind of hinted at before, it's you get to a certain point after so many decades where you can't really make a strong connection between one series and another series because people just age and, and you can't expect a guy who was fighting Dr. No in the early 60s to still be running around on satellites in the late 90s i'm sorry that the body doesn't tolerate that <laughs> yeah the, the irony is in the in the literary bond i i think fleming outlined that all double o's had mandatory retirement i can't remember if it was 40 or 45 mm-hmm. was mandatory re- retirement in the literary ian fleming created universe and like all of your bond actors are about that age when they start <laughs> playing the character so yeah to your point it's you know you have to you have to let a lot of it go you have to realize it's it's basically you just have to take the essence of this character and put him into this time period whether it's the early 60s or whether he's wearing bell bottoms and live and let die or you know he's fighting alec trevelyan on a satellite dish like you know in Mm -hmm. goldeneye which is an awesome fight by the way but don't get me down that rabbit hole And I think that is a strength of it. It's it's a character that can manifest itself in almost any time period because mm-hmm. the essence 
does fit pretty well. I mean, we've always had espionage. We've always had secrets. We've always had the idea that the world is not being run by the people we think it's being run by. That, yeah. that translates. Yes. And, and you said something earlier too, that that's, you know, true. Like the, the whole, you know, sort of definition of core of James Bond and that he's a, he's a, he's a killer and he's, um, you know, not politically correct, you know, with, with the ladies and, and whatnot for this era, you know, that we all have to remember that it's escapism, uh, the fantasy, and it's not real. Uh, but it, that almost, I think, starts to play in his favor as we move towards a more PC culture because it makes him an interesting character. I mean, at the end of the day, what, what people have to remember, I think people outside the James Bond franchise don't realize, is I think people who, who are just kind of tangentially familiar with those, like, oh, he's kind of like a superhero. And in the 80s with Roger Moore, they kind of made him a superhero-ish character. But in, in his core, you know, from the books and from the core of James Bond, he's just a bastard, man. <laughs> you're, not, you're not even necess necessarily supposed to like him um, based off of how Fleming wrote him. I mean, he, he has a cruel smile is a, and a cruel mouth is a, is a phrase that Fleming used all the time. He's... He, he's not supposed to be lovable you know no but but the but hollywood's kind of made him that and i think that's why you get a lot of these mixed messages now of like does he fit into pc times well no and that's kind of what makes him interesting so i'll be interested to see as we move forward in these upcoming films you know how they tackle that i kind of hope they they hang a lantern on it you know just run at it full arms and, and embrace it mm -hmm. i mean you and I both know who did. James Bond got called out in 1995 by James Judy Dench's M. She called him a sexist, misogynist yep. dinosaur, and she wasn't wrong. That's no. who he is. <laughs> and then later on, in a couple movies later, it's like they have a decent working relationship, but he hasn't changed who he is. No, no, but he's the one thing about him is he fundamentally he is who he is, but he's you know, like so he's kind of a bastard, but he's not, he's not a straight up a-hole. Like he, he, he knows how to curtail his behavior and how to act around him and how to be respectful. You know, he, he knows how to do it, but he's, he is who he is, you know? <laughs> I, and just like the, the line from the living daylights where he says, I only kill professionals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that's, that's the line he draws. It might not be the best line, mm -hmm. but you know, for example, when you, I had an argument with a very good friend of mine a very long time ago, and, and the subject was, is James Bond a glorified assassin, or is there more to his job title than that? And we went back and forth on this, and it, the specifics don't matter, but that was really what I had to think about. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. this guy gets recruited to do, you know, basically to take out these people who are too powerful. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm that's not necessarily the job you want to give to the most respectable person out there. <laughs> I kind of have to agree with you on that. And, and this is going to be a nice segue as I guess I hijack your show, but a nice segue into what makes a great bond actor. And, and I'm going to tell you who mine is. And I'm going to ask you who, who yours is, as I finish my stupid diatribe here, but my favorite actor in the bond canon is Timothy Dalton. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to it. To, to what you were saying i mean if you are familiar with literary bond you're right he, he is basically a glorified assassin and so what i think about when i look at my actor is i say okay 
And thanks to the big screen, he's really two things now. He's a gentleman spy who can use his charm to get what he needs. And he's also an assassin, a cold-blooded killer. So when I look at an actor, I have to say, is this person charming enough to be able to woo the lovely lady? And can I see him back behind the restaurant by the dumpster slitting a guy's throat because that's what he's there to do? Timothy Dalton, yes. Roger Moore, no. Roger Moore, absolutely gentleman spy, but could you see him slitting a guy's throat behind a building? No. So that's the balance I look for. And I'll turn that to you. And, and that's just my criteria. I'd be interested in what your criteria is and who your favorite Bond is. I have to be transparent in that I've already said on the show, I am a huge Timothy Dalton fan. That's why we so, get along so well. It's... Yeah, I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with you on that. Um, I have been on a uh, Daniel Craig kick for quite some time because I've been enjoying that run of movies some more than others, but they gel very well with me. Eh. He's he's done a Craig is interesting because well he fits my criteria of being able to be charming and be an assassin. Uh, his movies are not as I don't think they're as fun as the things we've seen before. But like you said, there's a certain gel there. Like the Craig era mm-hmm. is its own universe. Like the, 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 the era before is almost like you could connect them all. But then it's like, okay, cut that off. And the Craig mm-hmm. era is its own universe. So I can see where you would get into that. My description of James Bond, and I, I, the assassin thing still works in just fine. I'm not trying to disagree with that. But what I see is he is the world's most resourceful person. Nice. His, I like that. His job description is not necessarily to do the killing, although that's probably going to be the bulk of it. Mm. But because he can get himself to the place he needs to be, he can find the means to get the job done when somebody else would probably fail on that. That's an excellent point. I like that. And for that reason, although he's not the one that I go to, I do like Lazenby a lot. Oh, no problem with that. No, yeah. Lazenby did great. Yeah. No because, yeah. The, when he's trying to get down the wire in the middle of the blizzard and he reaches into his pockets, rips out the lining and makes himself a pair of mittens, that's James Bond to me. Mm-hmm. That's right there, him doing what he does best. And so really, I, I, I just like that. Yeah, the little spy craft things, the little problem solving things have always been great. You know, yeah. I, I saw somebody on Twitter just yesterday or the day before who who kind of said that same thing. He said he's watching Dr. No and he watched him do the little talcum powder on the on the briefcase thing and mm-hmm. the little pluck of hair out and put it on the closet thing so he can see if anything's been messed with. And they're you know what what the point they're trying to make is that spy craft is cooler than any gadget he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, it's apples and oranges because I love gadgets, too. But I to the point that is wonderfully intriguing stuff because we all remember it. And it's mm-hmm. all very simple. You know, tear the pockets out, put the hair on the door, talk about the thing, the tape recorder and Thunderball where he's listening so he can kind of almost visualize what happened while he was gone and that the guy is still in his room, you mm-hmm. know, just that kind of stuff is super cool. So yeah. I'm, I agree with you. Yeah. So to, to spin off of that for a minute, I mean, because we could talk Bond all day and we probably should take that opportunity sometime. <laughs> is that not what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> But then I, you talk about the James Bond books so much, and you've had a little side gig as creating these sketches as a comic mm-hmm. artist on pages of 
not just James Bond books, but other books as well. And I love this gig. Thank you. Uh, like, for example, uh, I got a commission from you. It's a Casino Royale with a Daniel Craig sketch. And oh. yeah, you've done a few of those, I'm sure. I have. I did. I did another one just yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you saw me tweet about it. It was yesterday. I did another Craig. I think same pose as yours. I just played with the color scheme a little bit. I made it a little darker. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, as as the yard sale artist, as you mentioned before, I like to go to yard sales, uh, library. Uh, I got a good relationship with my local libraries. They give me their disc, discard books that I want. Or if you have a second in Charles uh, store where you, where you live, they often will have a free bin out front of stuff they're just trying to get rid of. And that's what I look for because I'm really looking for damaged books because uh, I don't like to damage a perfectly good book. Mm -hmm. I like to find a book that's already on its last leg and you know it's headed for the landfill and then I pull out the good pages and I draw characters from the book on the book. So like you said, I, I did a Daniel Craig on Casino Royale. You know, I've, I've done every actor on, every Bond actor on a page of a Bond book, uh, mainly thanks to our, our friends over at the Double O Files, uh, <laughs> Donnie Z over there ordered, uh, commissioned me to do one actor on every <laughs> every actor on a page. But yeah, like I said, it's not limited to Bond. You know, I I, I did uh, Batman, and I'm in the middle of doing a project where I'm drawing some of the the Avengers, not the superheroes, but the British TV show Avengers. I found a a novel for that. I just did a Frankenstein on Frankenstein last night. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a fun thing. It's a very yard sale artist thing. People tend to enjoy it. So I'm, I'm glad you do. And I appreciate you uh, bringing it up. Let me plug it here. Well, the, the visuals are just amazing on that. I just You get this really great payoff of the character just opposed against the text. And as somebody, I have a personal problem defacing books or damaging Same. books. <laughs> and I appreciate that you deliberately pick books that are already on the scrap heap. Yes. So props to you there, but how do you come up with this concept? Okay, uh, I, I have to give a, a good amount of credit to um, my colorist. Uh, um, I also write comics, as you know, um, and I've I've uh, written a comic called Hamilton versus Burrow Werewolf Tale, and I actually inked a comic for Vampuxico called uh, Cold Lightning. And I have another comic in the process. Anyway, the colorist I work with, his name is Ace Wheelie. And Ace and I live relatively close to each other. So we were both at the same convention, uh, pushing Hamilton versus Burrow Werewolf Tale together uh, down in Florida. And his mom, uh, she's a very creative and she makes paper mache stuff. And what she was doing was making paper mache um, items. Just let me just give you an example. She like made a paper mache sorting hat from Harry Potter out of pages from a Harry Potter book. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. It's really clever and unique. And, and I thought, well, I got a couple of these busted James Bond books. It, it all did start with James Bond. And I just couldn't bring myself to throw them away because they were like the old vintage paperbacks, but the pages were falling out and the spine mm -hmm. was completely, the glue had dried and cracked and I bring myself to throw them out. And I was always thinking, like, oh, so I started thinking, well, what could I, maybe a project I could give to her to make me something on these Bond books. And then it just clicked. I was like, well, Jared, why don't you just draw James Bond characters on these books so I did a few of those and people tended to like them and so when I was out doing my yard sailing or at my library book sale which I go to three or four times a year you know I said oh you know here's a oh here's a Spider-Man book and its spine is busted and I'm like well let me draw Spider-Man on that and then I've been doing this for four or five years now so I mean just you can't see it off camera but just looking around I've got books just stacks and stacks and stacks I got 
books here that I found uh, in, in discard bins, hardcovers all the, up and down here. I, I slowly just find these things over time, draw the characters on them, and it's a lot of fun. And like you said, people tend to enjoy it. I love the connection to the yard sale for both your podcast and this, <laughs> mostly because I... How much do you get into old video games aside from James Bond? A ton, a ton. Okay. I, I have literally, no joke, literally thousands of games out my man cave. 99.9% uh, .9 yard sale acquired. Gotcha. If I see video games at the yard sale, and you know, they're not ridiculously priced, I'm picking them up. All right. I see. Now you and I relate on that quite a bit, mostly because um, I've always been into games since. I mean, when I first got my original NES, that was kind of the start of it, mm -hmm, but I mm -hmm. never stopped buying anything I ever started buying. So yeah. even when that was retired, I would still buy those games at yard sales to an extent, uh, people clearing out their inventories at eBay. I would just keep buying anything that I still liked. Right. Same. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that, especially like us, that were in that hobby that they were just yard sailing, garage sailing, antiquing, trying to get those old games. Until about 2010, 12, when eBay just sucked all the, the air out of that room and you couldn't find anything if you went out. Are you still, was that your experience? Did you just find a point when it wasn't worth looking for video games anymore? Actually, no, but I do believe that I live in one of the most fertile areas for yard sailing. Uh, I, I still have a fair amount of success finding games. Of course, you know, the further you get from as the years go by like we, we both started in in earnest on the original nintendo mm -hmm. so yes it, it is fewer and farther between that i find original nintendo games at yard sales now but they still do pop up from time to time like i said i live in a really good area for that because i live in 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 rural alabama there's there's not a lot of people in, on the ebay scene uh, you couple that with that I live in a military community. I live just outside of an army base. So there's constant turnover, people moving, coming in, coming out, coming in and then come out, which means they like to have a lot of yard sales. So I get a lot of turnover and and not a ton of competition down here for that kind of thing. Because I do, I do, uh, I do sell stuff on eBay myself because it's like, it's a hobby that pays for itself. You know, I'll buy, like I said, I'll buy the whole stack. Chances are I already have five or six games in the stack. Um, so I'll take those and I'll flip them on eBay and I'll make more money than I spent on, <laughs> on the stack, you know? But no, I, I've been really fortunate in that this area I live in seems to be real fertile for it. It's, it's remained fertile. Uh, so I, I, have that, uh, I have that luxury of having a good location for yard sailing. And I, I go out like literally every Saturday. And, and if you follow me on Twitter, you know that you know, usually like around Mondays and sometimes Thursdays and Fridays, I'll make a Goodwill run to my Goodwill, my Christian mission. And I'm always finding cool stuff. And I post it on, on about it. Hashtag yard sale adventures. You know, if it becomes a book page sketch, then hashtag book page sketch. And uh, you, I will find exciting stuff. So I am blessed, I think, with where I live and, and, and the turnover rate. Awesome. Okay. Well, I am very glad to hear that because your, your experience is it's the minority, but it's still encouraging to know that that's still out there. People used to talk about the thrill of the hunt and yes, I, I get behind that. What else do you look for that might not be gaming or bond related or even book related? Okay. Uh, my other big wheelhouse is toys. Mm -hmm. I deal a lot in toys. 
my big preference is I'm a GI Joe collector, a three and three quarter inch, as you would probably, or I, I get the feeling you and I are very much the same age, <laughs> starting on Nintendo. You probably loved GI Joe as a kid too. My wife, uh, her thing growing up was He-Man and She-Ra. So mm -hmm. we're always on the lookout for He-Man, She-Ra's, GI Joe's. And, you know, much like the games of the Nintendo, they do fewer and farther between as you get further from it. But we still find them. So toys is a big one. So we mainly focus on toys, video games. Uh, you know, of course, we mentioned the books. And after that, it's just any kind of interesting oddities that, I, that, I, <laughs> that I've come across. But that's our core is toys and games. I think that our generation is going to be very unique in the G.I. Joe department because we are one of the few that actually appreciate the three and three quarter inch line. Oh, yes. Whereas it seems like everybody who's older than us or younger than us just thinks that it's the 12 inch figures and everything else was garbage. <laughs> I guess I have a I have a uh, yeah, definitely the people older than us. Um, I actually found a 12 inch Joe with a bunch of accessories at a yard sale locally, not too long ago, like a vintage one. And I couldn't believe it. You don't ever see those pop up anymore. No. Um, but yeah, I, I also had just this last week, I stopped by my, my Christian mission and they had a GI Joe, uh, three and three quarter inch playset. It was, uh, the conquest of Cobra mountain or something like that. It had come out in about 2002, 2003. And what blew me away is when I saw it in the store, I was like, wow, G.I. Joe stuff. And then it clicked. I was like, I've never seen this before in my life. I'm a Joe collector and I've never even seen this set before. And they only wanted 10 bucks for it. So, I, of course, I picked it up. Nice. But but it, that stuff, yeah, it's 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 out there. And, man, I've I've pieced together a gigantic three and three quarter inch G.I. Joe collection over the. I've been doing this for 20 years now. And uh Never going to stop, but they, it is harder to find. They're fewer and farther between now, which makes me a little sad. But but you know what you would appreciate is I have a true collection of I'm trying. Well, trying loosely. Uh, I'm on a mission. Will it ever be successful or not? I don't know. To get all the original uh, NES cartridges. And okay. I think there was a, about 800 of them. I, I have the actual number in the whole list written down somewhere. I think it's like 700 and something. Mm -hmm. original carts and over the 20 years of yard sailing i have about almost 500 of them now so nice. i still find them every once in a while at yard sales and, and i had originally been on the exact same quest because when i first really got into it and when the prices dropped to the bottom it's like i can get everything i wanted to get everything because i thought i'm the only person on earth who appreciates this thing and i i have to make <laughs> sure somebody has all these games <laughs> And then as I, you know, did some searching on the internet and, and collecting picked up, I realized, okay, some people have made full sets. So I personally don't need to do this anymore. And that's when the prices for some of the big ticket items got really, really big. And I said, I need to put that attention towards something else. So that's, I did. I, I understand. And my, I have a pretty firm rule. Like I'm not buying any, any games to complete my set off of eBay. Like it has to be found in the wild. Mm -hmm. I have to find it at a yard sale or a thrift store or um, flea market, you know, half that, that's the rule. Mm -hmm. Very rarely to ever break that rule. Like I think the only time I ever did was for my wife. She's the biggest dragon warrior, dragon quest fan you've ever met. And I think I ended up ordering uh, dragon warrior three and four off the, uh, off of eBay for her for Christmas one year. But that's about the, I think that's the only rule break I ever did on that. <laughs> 
I don't really care where I get it from, but there's a certain point at which I'm just not spending yeah. triple digits. I mean, yeah. I'll spend one or 200 if it's something I really want. Like I like, I have a big appreciation for the, the weird wisdom tree color dreams. Yes. Game. Yes. I like those. They're not super expensive. So I'll, I'll drop a buck on that. I want the Panesian games. I will spend something for them. I'm not spending what they're charging now. Mm. So, I mean, I, I will go halfway on some of them. Yeah, I, I there are some things I would hedge as well. Like I would, when I say I want the whole, the whole set, you know, there's those ones. It's like the gold cart from the tournament or the, uh-huh. you know, and I'm like, that's not that important to me. I just want like the core, what was available to the general public core mm-hmm. set is, well, I'd be very happy with that. And then, like I said, I'm, I'm over halfway. It's not something that I, I have this burning thing about, but you know, whenever I spy that stack of those perfectly squared up gray cartridges at a yard sale. Do you uh, consider stadium events to be significant? I, I know of it. I know it has a significance, but uh, you know, if I find it or don't find it, I'm not losing sleep. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I struggle on that because it's, Stadium events really seems to be a modern story. Nobody really cared about this game until yeah, it true. got big. And it's like, but it's world-class track meet it, yeah. it, with a different <laughs> title screen. I, yeah, I, that is, that is an oddity. That's, that's for sure. Um, I, I, I do have to tell you this, so you're going to like this. So just I, when I was living in Montgomery, which actually you would think a bigger city in Alabama, like Montgomery would have, I was really excited when I moved there. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, because I was like, oh, it's, you know, yard sale heaven, this giant city. And it was one of the worst places I ever got for yard sailing. Um, again, I think it has a lot to do with not not a ton of turnover. I think turnover is important. But anyway, I go to this yard sale and this lady's got probably 40 or 50 Nintendo cartridges sitting on this table, just kind of spread out. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go, you know? And I do, the, this is, I'm going to help your listeners out now with the yard sale technique. What you do is if you see, especially a big lot of, let's say 20, 30, 40, doesn't matter. You pick up one and you say, how much are Nintendo games, right? This is, this. I'm teaching you guys technique now. Pick up one, how much are Nintendo games? And then they generally will say, oh, you know, I want $2 a piece for them, right? And you then you go, well, what if I got 10, you know? And then they'll go, well, I can do eight bucks. And then you do the Cobra strike. You go, all right, how much for all of them? And then they'll knock the price down even more. So that's a good bargaining tool. You start with one, then ask about five or 10, and then just what do you want for the whole thing? And that's a good way to get the price down fast. So nice. I walk up with this strategy in mind, right? I see all these, I probably got 40 or 50 of them. I walk up with this strategy in mind and I'm like, ma'am, how much? I pick up the one. How much are Nintendo games? <laughs> Without blinking, she looks at me and she goes, 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately I was like, well, I'm not even going to try this whole bargain. I was like, yes, ma'am, all day long. <laughs> here's your five dollars take five dollars i'll take it off these games there is a certain point at which you don't haggle yeah i was like yeah i'm not haggling with this lady at all (laughs) when you're only asking 10 cents to ask a penny less is just being an asshole exactly exactly you know and it's funny because like some people some people i know like get frustrated with me at that story because they're like you know oh you basically ripped that lady off and i'm like if you give them exactly what they're asking for you're not (laughs) You're not no. ripping them off. Um, I, it drives me nuts when I watch shows like American Pickers and they tell uh, how much you want for this old sign. The guy's like, give me five bucks. They're like, oh, that's worth $400. You should give you more. I'm like, the dude asked for $5. Give him his five. I guess I'm just an evil yard sale guy. That's, that's all. <laughs> 
So, I mean, we're starting to run low on time here, but there's a big topic that I want to ask you because you just said you were a big G.I. Joe guy. Yes. And this, I found out about this not too long ago and it melted my brain. Oh. Do you know about the intruders? The intruders. The intruders. It's not ringing an immediate bell, so go on. Okay. It was a, just slightly before our time. This was like that weird period where they were transitioning from what the 12-inch figures were to the three and a quarter figures that they released in the mid eighties. It was the, they were still 12 inch figures, but they had this idea that we should make like more GI Joes than the main guy. And there should be villains. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The intruders a were a caveman. They were an alien caveman. I have no idea how the fuck that works, but that's what they were. <laughs> and they were supposed to be what two GI Joe fought. And they were, smaller considerably smaller just slightly bigger than the three and a quarter figures and i found a picture of this and like i had never seen this i had no idea what i was looking at and then i realized it was this bullet head gi joe guy that was supposed to be gi joe's partner the bullet head guy yeah he's starting and to ring a fake bell here th this only flew for a couple of years when they were trying to figure find something else to do with the brand because the 12 inches weren't working anymore Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Yep, there's the caveman guy. I pulled mm -hmm. up on my phone. Gosh, yeah. I, I must have maybe seen maybe a YouTube thing on this years ago because it's vagrant. I definitely remember the bullethead guy. Um, I think I knew them as the adventure team. Okay. Um, and I think I think okay, it's all coming together. I think my friend uh acquaintance, a guy I know. Uh, Jim Beard, he writes a lot of books about G.I. Joe toys, and I want to say he he wrote an adventure. Yeah, it was Jim. He wrote an adventure team G.I. Joe novel mm -hmm. uh, back when Amazon had. Um, see if I can blow your mind again. Amazon had this thing called uh, something worlds. Amazon might have been Amazon worlds or, or basically here's here's the deal. You could write for a licensed property. You could write a book if they had, because they, you go to their site, Amazon, Kindle Worlds, it might have been called Kindle Worlds. Anyway, they'd have a list of all these properties that you could write a book. You, me, anybody could write a book under this licensed property and they would sell it and give you part of the profits because they'd already worked it out with, with you know, Hasbro for the mm -hmm. GI Joe license. And, and you pull it up and it tells you all the rules. Here's all the rules you have to follow. As long as you follow these rules, we're going to publish your book and you get money and Hasbro gets money. We get money and everybody wins. And Jim wrote an, he wrote an adventure team book. There's a, there's a picture. Uh, uh, you guys on listening can't see, but I'm going to try to get this in the show notes. Uh, so there's an adventure team book. Um, unfortunately, they, I, I heard they killed that project because I started writing my own Joe novel. Um, I got about four or five chapters in and then they, they killed, uh, I think it was called Kindle worlds. It's going to drive me nuts if I don't remember the exact name. Um, and it made me so sad. Cause I was like, Oh man, I was in the middle of writing this book too. And I was looking forward to doing it, but they had so many cool properties that, that just Joe Schmo could go in there and write a novel under a license. And it was so cool. Yeah. What, I what, uh, going south. yeah it, it ended up, I, I, maybe it didn't make enough money for them. And maybe the people, ended up pulling the licenses i don't i don't know what happened but i will tell you this part that you'll that you'll appreciate i remember in all the rules that you're that they had you, know, you can't do this you can't kill characters blah blah blah. you know that kind of stuff for gi joe it's it specifically said um snake eyes uh 
Snake Eyes. It might have been any G.I. Joe character, but I know they specifically mentioned like Snake Eyes or any other G.I. Joe character will never wear any New York Yankees paraphernalia at any time. <laughs> because, you know, the founders of Hasbro are big Boston Red Sox fans. Uh-huh. And that was a literal rule that they had put into the writing their characters. That you can't like you can't be pro New York Yankees of <laughs> their stuff. Well, I, how, that cracked me up. How many Apple devices do you have? Uh, two. Okay. Somewhere in the user license agreement that you signed when you plugged that thing in, you agreed not to use your Apple product to build nuclear weapons. Oh, good. Good. Just, okay. just keep that in mind, okay? Oh, hang on. I got to cancel a couple of projects. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny. I'm wondering what they would have thought, said about the way you portray the characters. Because the, the thing that blew my mind about the intruders, even after I realized the weirdness of the characters, was that due to the height difference between the cavemen and the G.I. Joe, and the caveman has these big circular arms. Yeah. And he's supposed to grab onto G.I. Joe. That's kind of his gimmick. But the height difference sets it up that it doesn't look like he's fighting him. It looks like they're, let's shall we say, snuggling. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll call that snug. And I'm just amazed that nobody at the toy company said, dial that back a minute. Okay, let's <laughs> rethink that. Yeah, I'm looking at this ad for it. The Adventure Team, ready to go whenever Adventure Leads, features Eagle Eye G.I. Joe, Atomic Man, Bullet Man, and the Intruders. Mm-hmm. yep there you have it that and that's out of 1976 catalog so yeah late 70s in that weird that weird bridge I, i'm surprised they didn't talk a little more about that on the uh did you watch the i you must have the toys that made us on netflix i've seen clips of it it's been uh, more of a def- time definitely worth it uh, especially on the gi joe i found the gi joe and the he-man episodes particularly entertaining but they're all wonderful uh highly recommend the toys that made us Good stuff, but they, I they might have mentioned Bullet Man on there. I can't remember, but uh, this definitely is a is an interesting era that doesn't get talked about enough. <laughs> I know, and I think that's probably somewhat on purpose because it it didn't last long, and it was so weird that they're now just trying to bury it. <laughs> it's like that um, that like 1989, 1990 He Man. Uh-huh. Uh, you remember that, like where they yep. tried to bring He Man back and made it very like sci fi. Yeah, it was a Ninja Turtles clone at that point. Yeah, well, everybody was chasing Ninja Turtles at that point. Yeah, and yeah. not can't blame them for that. Exactly, exactly. You know, like as a GI Joe three and three quarter inch collector, you know, a lot of people really poo poo those late later 80, 89, 90 run. Well, everything got bright and colorful and toxic and and hazardous waste, and it was like, well, everybody was chasing the turtles. <laughs> it was all about being like the turtles at that point, yeah. eco warriors. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't think those were, I mean, granted, I was kind of getting out of G.I. Joe at that point, so maybe it was turning me off. But looking back, I don't see a problem with those. I see that era, like at the late 90s, where they tried to do a slight redesign of the figure, but roughly the same scale, the G.I. Joe Extreme or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. That just seemed to be the worst of both worlds to me. Yeah, the G.I. Joe Extreme and the Sergeant Savage lines uh you know they were in that sort of like they were just kind of r- trying to find their footing and the the funny part is is that gi joe really kind of had its best comeback around 2000 and all they really did was was new molds for the old figures and, and basically just re-embraced what it was to begin with and it got mm-hmm. popular again around 2000 and then 
kind of fades out. It, it kind of fades in and out and in and out over time. And right now we're 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 at it back at an end phase because they they've re-released, well not re-released, but they did sort of those little retro, very retro looking package three and three quarter inch Joe's, which I can never find. Everybody posts them on Twitter and they're never at my local Walmart, which makes me mad. And then they've got those, uh, what about five inch now, the classified figures that are super mm -hmm. cool looking that have sort of really re-energized the collector community. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to checking out some of those because haven't jumped on the Joe bandwagon yet, but the day is still young. Yeah, <laughs> there's time. There's time. I, I was just fortunate for last Father's Day and Christmas. Those were kind of the big things that my wife, uh, had hunted down for me was the the five inch classified so i have a fair amount of those and th those are super cool um for some reason they're easier to find at target they might i wonder if target has the exclusive i've never seen them at walmart but i do we do come across them at targets so of course there's always online big bad toy store and all those places well jared i've got to let you go but I want to give you a chance to plug any of your shows where can we find you keep tabs on your writing your adventures your art Oh, I appreciate it. Um, you know, first of all, the best place to do that is on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. They're all at yard sale artists. So by all means, give me a follow. I'm a big follow back guy. So at yard sale artist is the best place to find me uh, for, for my art, writing, comic book creating, and yard sale adventures. That's pretty much all I tweet about. Um, and then as far as podcasts go, I would definitely encourage you. We already talked about on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast if you're into James Bond. Uh, otherwise I'm on a ton of shows on the long box crusade network. That's at long box crusade. Or if you point your podcatcher to long box crusade, you will find us. Uh, we cover a lot of stuff about comic books. Uh, we have a show about action, uh, action films. We have uh, a show about old TV serials, uh, movies, all old sort of old forgotten black and white stuff. We're like, for example, we're currently going through the 1943 Batman serial and the 1954 Sherlock Holmes TV show. So we like to find really cool things that have, so people have kind of forgotten about and bring them back. But anyway, comic books, that kind of stuff, action films, that's all over at Longbox Crusade. Uh, check us out. Check us out. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I hope to have you back soon. Oh, man, I really enjoyed this, and I'd love to be back soon. I would like to thank Jared for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, I would like to reach out to you and ask, what other fandoms would you like to see represented on this show? Jared and I went around and around talking about things like James Bond, G.I. Joe, retro video games, and these are all great fandoms which have their own communities, and I think it's important to reach out to maybe fandoms that are flying under the radar. So whether you want to email me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com or send me a tweet at Aaron Bossig, I would appreciate hearing from you. Please subscribe to this show on your platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.